Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Bugler! I assume you're listening to this on your own. If not, it was in French. There was a silent S on the end. Sooner fan. Now, this is the Bugle, audio newspaper for this quite visibly visual world with me, Andy Zaltzman. And this week, I'm talking to you live from London. We are once again in the St Paul's studio. This week, right here, in sprinting distance to the domey shelter of the Almighty Lord, just in case the Brexpocalypse comes early. And I'm joined today by the woman who is to the bugle. What discussions about whether you would rather catapult Jacob Rees-Mogg or Eric Trump into space are to the world, in other words, <laughs> far more frequent than was the case even two years ago. It's Alice Fraser! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Andy. Hello, buglers. How, how's thing? How's auntieing? Oh, it's... With? So good, I have yes. to say. I looked after her the other day to let my brother and his wife go and watch the new Harry Potter movie, and I think my experience was much more realistic than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are recording on Thursday, the 22nd of November. Yesterday, the 21st of November, marked 100 years since women were given the right to stand for Parliament in Britain. Uh, and so we ask, has it worked? <laughs> uh, I mean, Brexit... <laughs> Yeah, Brexit didn't happen when there were only men in Parliament, did it? Um, interestingly, the uh, <laughs> legislation, Alice, gave women over the age of 21 the right to stand for election as an MP, but they weren't able to vote until they were 30. I mean, that is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's what I want in my life. I just want to be given power without any responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. Uh, this week, a travel section. On the United Arab Emirates, uh, and we give you travel advice on how to get a great tan in a moral vacuum. <laughs> and to add to the array of water slides and fairground attractions in the five-star luxury hotels of Dubai, we review the exciting new Thriller Minutes adrenaline-packed ride, the Emirati Justice System. In five all-action, mind-boggling minutes, you can plummet from freedom to incarceration so fast you won't even notice the evidence not existing. Scream if you want to go down faster. <laughs> we review all the top Dubai bars and clubs, as well as the other implements used by the Emirati police oh. to beat confessions out of people. And we uh, investigate why the UAE is the best holiday destination to relax and forget about the worries of the world. Put all your concerns to one side. Seriously, because if you think about anything, you'll be arrested and jailed. <laughs> they've, they've got people all over that. It really helps focus the mind on not focusing the mind. Uh, and are you bored of politics? Get away from it all in the UAE, where you can be sure your government will not interfere whilst you are put in jail. Oh, my and God, Andy, this is so brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger. And uh, a special competition, free board and lodging for the rest of your life, paid for by the Emirati government. All you have to do is finish this sentence. I would like to know more about how the UAE is run and governed because... Dot, dot, dot. And you need to finish that out loud somewhere in the UAE, and you'll be guaranteed some elongated, non-voluntary quality me time. Yes, the UAE is fun, fun, fun for all the family. Sorry, I missed out a couple of words there. Fun, fun, fun for all the Emirati royal family. <laughs> also in the bin this week, um, free audio origami. We teach you how to fold this plain-sounding noise. Seen on Isonect the Swiss Al Riflons Ron, often water into this. The swan is a long-necked waterfowl often seen on rivers. Top story this week, termite news. Alice, you are the bugles. Um, <laughs> uh, Tread carefully. And uh, t termite correspondent. 
I am indeed. Yeah. Uh, and there's an incredible amount of termite news. As with all termite news, you start looking and then you uncover more and more and more <laughs> until you have to move out of your house. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Martin, an entomologist at the University of Salford in England, has discovered a termite city. It's built by Sintermes dirus. I think that's right, among the largest termite species at about half an inch long. And there are about 20 million mounds. And they're spread across an area as large as Britain, making it the biggest metropolis ever discovered. This is an ancient civilization. The youngest mound is about 690 years old, and the oldest is at least 3,820 years old, which is about the age of the Great Pyramids in Giza in Egypt. So... Basically, termites are way more futuristic than we will ever be. <laughs> there is no intermound conflict. They seem to all be from the same family, and uh, they're doing it right, Andy. Right. Because, I mean, I mean, human civilization. I think we can all agree, is going through a, a bit of a moment right now. Yeah. So maybe there are lessons to be learned from I mean, the termites are far more enduringly successful species than, than humans. I mean, we're doing all right. They're at the top of the rankings right now, but, you know, it could be just... You know, a momentary could be like Blackburn Rovers winning the Premier League. We it? need to take a heavily chewed leaf out of the Book of the Termites right. and get our shit together, Andy. The Book of the Termites, that's my favourite bit of the Old Testament, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah, so this this termite city, the size of, of Britain, and um, well, the problem, that comes with dangers, the pro- property prices in these centrally located termite <laughs> mounds are <laughs> ridiculous, especially if you're a working-class termite doing a manual job. Sorry, a, a mandible job. Mm-hmm. Uh, it takes you... I mean, the, the commute is a shitting nightmare. <laughs> I mean, if you're a termite living in a city the size of Britain, you've got a life expectancy of around one year and you live on the outskirts, you will literally never get to work. Yeah. I haven't done the math on that, but I assume it's true. I mean, given that I now know that there is a termite city the size of Britain existing in Brazil... I feel much less guilty about when I find a termite telling it to go back to where it came from. Oh, right. God, you've been staying in Britain too long, haven't you? Brexit has seeped into your Australians. As you, as oh, your come Australians on. Are. We've been really good at racism for a long time, Andy. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, speaking as a Brit, I think we, we relate to the termite in this country. It's a very British insect in a lot of ways. So the natural colonisers, they have a horrifically unhealthy diet. <laughs> And the queen lives for way longer than the ordinary plebton. It's uncanny, isn't it? Absolutely uncanny. Also, you do communicate through a series of complex scents. Yeah, that's the British way. Just smelling each other and yeah. getting messages yeah, around bacon, that way. Chips, <laughs> pickled eels. In more termite news now, a discovery among termite colonies in Japan suggests that in termite colonies, males can be discarded from societies in which they once played an active role. Now, this, Andy, is a terrible example of the unforeseen consequences of feminist rhetoric. It is not enough that we've got a feminised society, soft playgrounds, boys aren't allowed to punch each other in the face (laughs) in the classroom anymore. Now we have to impose our feminist principles on the termites too. Thanks, Ms Pankhurst, you horrible suffragette slag. (laughs) I bet you didn't well, that, think this. That's my, my, absolutely my favourite Bob Dylan song. <laughs> I bet you didn't think this would happen when you decided to encourage your followers to fight the king's horse. <laughs> this is a terrible thing for male termites who probably built the termite mounds in the first place. We know that statistically speaking, male termites are more logical and powerful than female termites, and now <laughs> I just can't support these pussy hat wearing, man hating, rad feminist <laughs> mites. What's next? Stop eating wood because it reminds you of penis? 
<laughs> I mean, probably not. They have tiny rudimentary brains and they don't understand why they do anything. That's termites, not feminists, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I, I am a feminist, Andy. I've just been struggling with some of the extreme uh, ends of the feminist movement at the moment. I feel like... You know, you say you're a feminist and then you immediately get associated with, like, the ones who are on Twitter saying horrible things. I feel like the kind of very loud, angry feminists are like the erect nipples on the body of feminism. Right. Like, you want to ignore them, but you can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a good way of putting it, I guess, in, uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they found 4,200 4, termites without a single... Male termite. And it's possible they just excavated the termite hen party to end all termite hen parties. <laughs> or maybe they would have just found one harrowed looking male termite in the middle, in a, the remnants of a police outfit. <laughs> uh, it's possible all the boy termites are playing Dungeons and Dragons. We, we, just, <laughs> we, just, we just don't know. But termites, in many ways, they've laid down the blueprint for human society. I think they're a species we should, we should look up to. Not just because they've, they've lasted for, you know, since the dinosaurs. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, they have, they have, they have, there's a lot of similarities. Advanced cities, advanced social structures, the willingness to destroy absolutely everything in their path <laughs> to get done what they want to get done. These are our heroes and our role models. And uh, just one quick termite fact before we move on. Uh, the popular spread Marmite is made of a combination of crushed termite kidneys and the rendered down remnants of marsupials or martyrs, one of the two, I forget. Uh, it's Australian rival Vegemite, by contrast, your national dish. Yeah, list, tell me about it, Is Andy. Uh, named after the ancient tribe, the uh, Vegemites, <laughs> wiped out by the Babylonians <laughs> in the year uh, 2x cubed BC, I think, for an extra two marks. <laughs> what is X? I've actually eaten termites. Have you? Yeah. They taste like carrots. Mm. Are you sure you didn't eat a carrot? I mean... Carrots don't tend to crawl up your fingers whilst you try to eat them off them. <laughs> but, but you, you <laughs> ate live termites. Yeah, right. Well, and what was the what was the occasion of this? Oh, I was on holiday, and we were on a a, a forest. Oh, walk. you were secret agent. <laughs> yes, right. and all secret agents famously have to eat termites as part of the was initiation. Part of your triathlon training or something. It, it was. I guess if you get peckish on the. If, you're cycling if you get lost a, in the woods yeah, and there's a just termite, a termite city, yeah. what are you going to eat? What if the termites been Pine taking protein. steroids? You could fail a you could fail a drug. That would be an interesting excuse, wouldn't it, for a sport? I ate a contaminated termite. Shitload of doped up termites. <laughs> so just just sorry, I didn't let you get to the end of your story. Of why the f you ate a termite? We were just on a, a, a forest walk, and the yeah. guide just grabbed a stick and he and he stuck it in what turned out to be a termite mound and said, "Who wants to eat termites?" And this dickhead was the first to put his hand up. Right. And ate them off the stick as they sort of, you know, just ate them off my fingers. Yeah. And they were tasty. Yeah. And apparently they taste like carrots because uh, they're, they're high in keratin, as are carrots. Right. There um, you well, go. That's the, that's the future of food, isn't it? I'm prepared to be shouted down and be told that's absolute bullshit in terms of the keratin. I mean, yeah, that, are you 100% sure he wasn't f***ing with you? <laughs> no, I'm not. He did stick a stick in the ground and make me eat termites. So. I mean, that explains why you can't sustain human body weight and you just collapse <laughs> if I put a foot on you. <laughs> Well, this is a very exciting development for food, the the non-vegan carrot. (laughs) (laughs) In more undermining the foundations of civilization news, uh, Trump. Yes, uh, another exciting week for the leader of of the free world. He issued a statement on uh, Saudi Arabia relating to their um, extrajudicial murder of uh, a journalist. Um, Now, look... 
it, it was interesting, this statement. We all know that international politics is a complex game of morally ambiguous, ethically expedient, <laughs> cheaty poker. And it's not so much the passive validation of the orchestrated murder of a dissenting journalist that bugs me with Donald Trump's statement. It is the ridiculously excessive use of exclamation marks (laughs) in a presidential statement about a murder. That does not sit well with me. That, to me, is the sign that truly civilization is doomed and rightly so. The number of exclamation marks makes the statement look a little bit like one of those gossipy epistolatory novels from the time of Jane Austen when they're trying to characterise an idiot. <laughs> but he, he released this statement, which was uh, about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, trying to get ahead, I think, of the CIA, a statement about the cause of the murder. Uh, the CIA has reportedly concluded it was ordered by the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. But in it, Trump basically acknowledges that Khashoggi was murdered with bone sores and the sanction of the state, but this is entirely mitigated by the fact that the nation in which the atrocity occurred also happens to have a lot of oil. (laughs) It just straight up has said that, that if America doesn't retain good relations with Saudi Arabia, they'll go off and make an oil deal with China or Russia. That is putting the er and the er and the ick into real politic. (laughs) (laughs) And the uh, A, uh, uh, into betraying the fundamental principles for which your nation purports to stand. (laughs) I don't want to be too negative about this, Andy. If you put aside the questions of humanity, honour, dignity and the rights of US citizens abroad, which he definitely has, it's quite reassuring on a number of levels. Yeah, it's admirably honest in a lot of ways. It's refreshingly honest. He's clear about what his financial allies can get away with, which is not just murder, but really gross avant-garde gang murder (laughs) with a gruesome medieval torture twist. Oh, that's it. I've put some thought into it. Yeah, no matter what you do, Trump is not going to leave you. It's not like you're one of his wives who got slightly older than you were when he married you. (laughs) It's really reassuring from the perspective of those of us who wonder sometimes how much we'd have to f*** up before our family stopped loving us. (laughs) Right, I thought, was, I thought it was from the point of view of those who, who one day dream of being the next Mrs. Trump. <laughs> I mean, it's good. If you're Trump's kids, you don't have to worry about getting caught doing drugs or dismembering someone alive in an embassy. It's like, <laughs> Dad, 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 I have something to tell you. First of all, I have a lot of oil. Secondly, I love you. Third, I murdered someone. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, statement begins, America first, exclamation mark. Um, again, don't read it in a 1930s German accent. The world (laughs) is a very dangerous place, exclamation mark. It is, as memorably the line with the stripy tail hanging out of its mouth said to the baby zebra. Um, (laughs) Representatives of Saudi Arabia say that uh, Jamal Khashoggi was an, quote, enemy of the state, in quote marks, but my decision is in no way based on that. I mean, that is an enemy of the state. That's alarmingly mid-20th century language, that, and he seems completely fine uh, with that. He said, after my heavily negotiated trip to Saudi Arabia last year, the kingdom agreed to spend and invest $450 billion in the United States. Now, there, there we go. As Oscar Wince Bernard Wildshaw Churchill <laughs> himself said, <laughs> we've already discovered what kind of nation you are, America. Now we are just haggling over the price. <laughs> and uh, this, I think this was the exclamation mark that really got to me. <laughs> he said, it could very well be that the crown prince had knowledge of this tragic event. Maybe he did. And maybe he didn't, exclamation mark. Like it's some kind of slapstick comedy of mistaken identity. No, exclamation marks when you are talking about a murder. Please, that, out of all the things you've done, Mr Trump, I found my breaking point. 
I mean, this is a really, I mean, this is an astonishing statement. Uh, and Fred Ryan, who was the publisher of the Washington Post, which employed the journalist in question, he called that the whole statement a betrayal of long-established American values of respect for human rights and the expectation of trust and honesty in our strategic relationships, which, yeah, obviously, but come on, how many times can you accuse someone of betraying everything he's meant to stand for before it starts to lose its punch like... <laughs> You know, it's a bit. It's like the announcement of Jimmy Carr as the face of a new panel show. It just doesn't have the kick it used to have. <laughs> and it is, as you say, it's nothing new to see Trump unzip his presidential trouser, uncoil the penis of political provocation, <laughs> and spurt a firm jet of mendacious manlies <laughs> into the much betrayed eye of American values. But I, I just family was... show, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, but I think he could take the honesty even further. I, I wish he'd gone a little further and laid down his policy on exactly how many political opponents he thinks the Saudis should kill, and maybe the <laughs> trade value of each kill on a sliding scale. So maybe the first five slayings of political opponents of the Saudi royal family are free of a- any economic consequence. Then say it's like two billion off the value of the next trade deal, <laughs> each of the next ten kills, then five billion off until the value of all US Saudi trade deals is below twenty five billion a year, at which point America can then afford to have an ethic. That that I would respect. In other uh, Trump news, uh, Thanksgiving today as we record, and in accordance with the great uh, tradition of America, Donald Trump uh, pardoned a turkey. <laughs> Um, it's one of the great American American traditions, um, and yeah, he, he's, he, I mean, it is a week for forgiveness. It is very much. If you can forgive an entire nation for the extrajudicial murder of a journalist, you can forgive a turkey. Yeah, but what is never talked about on these occasions is exactly what the turkey goes through on such horrific occasions. Almost a like a sort of mock execution type <laughs> when it's building up to Thanksgiving and then suddenly reprieved. I mean, it must. Take a psychological toll. It's like uh, me going for my visa renewal. (laughs) Very similar. (laughs) Um, Stop going to visa renewals in abattoirs. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Anyway, to find out, we are delighted and honoured to be joined by the turkey uh, that was pardoned by President Trump this week. Uh, Terry, thank you very much (laughs) for joining us. It is a pleasure, Andy. Love the show. Uh, Thanks, Terry. Now, it's been a very interesting time for you recently, a a difficult time in many ways. Yes, Andy. I am not going to lie to you. The run-up to Thanksgiving in America is, shall we say, an awkward time of the turkey year. I mean, have you spent much time living with a load of turkeys? Uh, No, no, I haven't, uh, Terry. I did have an old colleague who did (laughs) kind of a bit of acting and appeared in two or three turkeys, but I've not actually lived with, with turkeys. Well, Andy, let me tell you, turkeys are f***ing annoying. Can you say f***ing on this show? <laughs> uh, uh, by all means. F***ing f- Donald f***ing Trump. I've shat pellets with more of a moral compass than that peanut-faced loon. Uh, uh, OK, Terry, can we focus a bit? Um, so, so when the president pardoned you, how, how did that make you feel? I'm thinking if he is on my side, what the f*** must I have done? Not nice. Not nice (laughs) at all. So do you think in this day and age, Terry, the president really should be issuing pardons to turkeys? I mean, it still makes more sense than issuing a presidential pardon to a convicted human person, but it still looks bad. When your president is displaying more humanity towards (laughs) something that is not human than he does to things that are human, well, America, you need to take a long, hard bath with yourself as a nation. 
Also, I was guilty as charged. G guilty of what? Of being a turkey. It is a capital offence at this time of year. The law's the law. Actually, I don't know if that is still the case, but anyway. Do you want to fill my wattle? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm fine, thanks, Terry. None taken. And a quick word for you Brits. I feel for you. I voted for Christmas. With hindsight, maybe it was a mistake as a turkey. But, well, the campaign was so persuasive. I know what you're going through. Um... Okay, Terry, before we go, uh, Alice, have you got any questions for, for Terry the turkey? Uh, yeah, Terry the turkey, I have a question. Um, how do you feel about the birds aren't real conspiracy theory? This is just unsubstantiated rumour, fake news. Uh, <laughs> obviously, there is nothing in it. It, it. Of course, we are real. If you prick us, do we not shit on your car windscreen? <laughs> Enemy human detected. Australian blood skeptic. Alice, Rebecca, Baltazara, Quetzalcoatl, Inet, Navratilova, Fraser, Born, Killer, Flamingo, Avian, Chip Malfunction, Emergency, Lay an Egg, Lay an Egg, Lay an Egg. <laughs> ah, better out than in. Andy, it's been a pleasure coming on the show. <laughs> Uh, Terry, thank you very much for joining us. Wow, Andy. Wow. Sometimes you see bullshit that rises like the dawn oh, and just, it dazzles your eyes. It's just nice on a show like <laughs> this. You sometimes get to meet the, you know, the, the real history makers, the people right at the centre of very much the, the bird Scaramucci. I mean, not to buy into the birds aren't real conspiracy theory, but yeah. I, have a, I have a weird feeling that that bird wasn't real. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly an angrier turkey than the one you spoke to one Christmas recently. Oh, I've forgotten I'd done that. <laughs> <laughs> Modern life has probably got you brushing your teeth all wrong. Just because the news makes you angry, it doesn't mean you need to take it out on your teeth. And this is why you need a Quip electric toothbrush. Quip are backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. That's basically enough to nearly fill Lord's Cricket Ground. Their brushes have sensitive sonic vibrations, so you can be gentle with your sensitive gums. And given that even counting gets some of you wound up these days, Quip has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, helping give a full and even clean. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash bugle right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash bugle. Quick Brexit update now, and, uh, well, uh, there was an attempted coup against uh, mm -hmm. Theresa May, our Lord and Saviour, um, which, <laughs> uh, which appears to have failed. Um, led by Jacob Rees-Mogg, Rees in which a group of old grey white men, <laughs> the great underrepresented minority in British politics traditionally, um, attempted to unseat Theresa May and basically completely failed. Essentially, they wanted to drag Britain back to where it belongs, the past. <laughs> um, we're more comfortable there, it just suits us. The present brings us out in a rash decision, and the future is just not our thing in many, many ways. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, the head conspirator, um, uh, he, he's very much the most convincing evidence yet produced that time travel will at some point be developed. That he's essentially come here from the 1920s and he's now doing desperately doing everything he can to get us back there. And if he has to take the whole nation with him to achieve that, so be it. Europe in general, Alice, uh, is taking this uh, slightly historically curious drift towards the far right and populism. Now, populism in 20th century Europe had, I think it's fair to say, a bit of an up and down mm -hmm. time 
uh, it didn't all go well. Yes. I don't think I'm out of line in saying that. No, Andy, I think you're probably in line there. Uh, but despite its uh, brief unpopularity towards the beginning of this century, it seems to be coming back in vogue like a nip waist waistcoats uh, <laughs> and I don't know what those are. A I nip just, waistcoat? A nip, nip waistcoat, like a wasp, wasp never mind. Um, <laughs> I just, it was a thought. Anyway... <laughs> like monocles and curly moustaches. Um, what's happened is there's been a survey and it, the survey has revealed that one in four Europeans is voting for a populist party now. It's almost like we're living in a post-Freudian society where every individual feels that rather than achieving satisfaction by fulfilling their roles and duties within a society, they have to actualize themselves through the indulgence of id-driven fear to anger transference. Like, on one hand, it is easy to be annoyed that people are choosing to support politicians who are providing overtly simple answers to complex questions in a world of information overload. But really, it's a lot easier to understand if you think of it as a response to profound economic and emotional disruptions that can result in a group's loss of self-esteem. You know, remember when Twitter appeared and we thought it was just a phase? On one hand, it is awful that the anti-immigrant rhetoric is being bolstered by increasingly dog-whistle racism, but, you know, you have to forgive vulnerable groups that are attempting to deal with a traumatic sense of disorder by utilising maladaptive defence mechanisms like denial and projection. All right. I, I spoke to a therapist on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think our options are a complete breakdown of social order and pandemic civil war, or promoting the development of supportive mentoring relationships, improved parenting skills and educational <laughs> approaches that focus on emotional development. Well, which one of those two options is going to make better films? <laughs> <laughs> Regrettably acquired throat injury news now. and Oh, I would have gone for knob-noshing news, oh, but right, okay. sure. <laughs> Potato, potato. We are in the studio on, on Cock Lane here <laughs> near St Paul's. Cathedral, uh, and appropriately enough, there was a a story about well, a man being described as a as a hero. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, a hero, a legend, a martyr, and an idol. Yeah, and for uh, what exactly? For going viral on social media by posting a selfie from the hospital uh, where he was admitted after rupturing his uh, his. What is it called? Thorax? No. <laughs> Epiglottish throat? No, he ruptured his air Esophagus. passage. He ruptured the air passage in his throat right. by uh, giving fellatio very enthusiastically to a 10.5-inch penis. Uh, right. So, What's that in centimetres <laughs> for our younger listeners? No one measures penises in centimetres, Andy's. <laughs> Andy, it's, it's, <laughs> it's inches or foot-long subs. Um, is it not time to... To decimalise the, the male member? He, I don't know exactly what the length was. Uh, he estimated it and he called it in his post a Hulk-sized dick. Um, people, Hulk-sized. Okay. Hulk-sized. People are Hulk generally sized. in awe of this, that he right. not only did he manage to suck this dick yep. to completion, okay. uh, go home and only realise that there was something wrong the next morning, right. but that he was very open about his struggle to overcome okay. the size of his own throat. Okay, yep. In his enthusiasm. There's a lot of advice in the comments sections about how to avoid ending up with a, quote, lung full of hot jizz. <laughs> well, yep. uh, but other than that, it seems to be mostly pro-cock-sucking-induced uh, injury. Right, and it's 26.6. <laughs> 
<laughs> Cent- that's coincidentally the uh, test bowling average of the great England fast bowler, John Snow. <laughs> um, I mean, I do worry about the uh, the lowering of the bar of heroism in society. This man could be described as, <laughs> as a hero. This is admiring tweet, legend, a martyr, and an idol. Mm. You'd thought, you know, maybe who could that be about? Could it be about Jesus Christ? Joan of Arc. Uh, I've also offers a bit of a weird middle name. Uh, Martin Luther King, <laughs> Spartacus, Bodicea, or a man who'd ruptured his throat or radically flugelhorning a 10-inch peneid. I just think we're losing perspective on what true heroism is about. I agree, Andy, and I also think that it's it's more of a boast than it is a heroic act right. uh, to have engaged with such a large, uh, beautiful appendage. I think right. he, he should have... I mean, it, I guess unless it protected the, the, the bystanders from the... <laughs> from the lungful of arches. <laughs> just don't know. No, I mean, I think he would be more heroic if he had engaged with an unattractive or jigsaw-shaped <laughs> appendage. Right. But, the, I mean, the currency of the legend... I mean, the word, le- obviously, legend has... The value of the term legend has collapsed like a 1920s German mark. And, I mean, Hercules must be non-existently spinning in his mythological grave, <laughs> thinking, oh, I had to do 12 seriously f***ing difficult labours, including cleaning out enough shit to start a war from some shitty stables. You people wouldn't know a real legend if it chopped the heads off a hydra in your kitchen <laughs> and then chopped them off again and again before working out a more viable long-term solution. Yeah, I mean, Xena Warrior Princess was forged in the heat of battle, not yeah. forged in the heat of a lungful of hot jizz. <laughs> yeah. I just keep saying a lungful of hot jizz because it makes you flinch every time. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with it, Andy, right. but you're even less comfortable with it. Lung. Just, I, just, I don't think the word lung belongs there. <laughs> um, and a martyr. I don't, I don't remember... I don't remember seeing anything quite like this story on any of the medieval frescoes I've seen in Italian churches, but maybe I'm looking at them from the uh, from the wrong angle. I mean, I you haven't seen the lactation of St. Bernard then? No, I have not. No. <laughs> it's an absolute classic. Google it. Um, after you suggested we cover this story, I've already Googled things I did not want to Google. Um, <laughs> an, an idol as well for getting himself hospitalised by the thrumple-stilts-cling of a belongingly engorged trousseur. <laughs> I mean, come on! Choose your words more carefully, people. Fellatio, of course, uh, named after a particularly fruity character in one of Shakespeare's lesser-known plays. Mm, from, alas, uh, Fellatio, I knew him well. He's a little performed blue period. Actually, that's not the quote. Right. Cut uh, that we... out. I don't want to sound like I'm misquoting Shakespeare. <laughs> kilogram news and, well, bad news for kilogram fans. The kilogram, as you know it, has been fired. The popular unit of mass, one of the most popular measures for the past 100-plus years, is having a makeover. Uh, since the 19th century, the uh, precise definition of the kilogram has been based on a lump of metal in uh, France weighing a kilogram, appropriately enough. But that's not f***ing good enough for today's pedant scientists. 
and they're having to update it with some complex shit that I couldn't understand. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't like the kilogram being changed because I don't. When I proposed to my wife, I recited a poem that I'd written for her entitled "My Love Is Like a Kilogram," and th- those words now seem meaningless. <laughs> what is a kilogram? No, now it's referring to a universal constant, Andy. This All is right. great news. Scientists have voted to change the reference weight for the kilogram to yep. this fundamental constant of the universe. Okay, democracy works. Right. It is important news because actually the lump of metal in the vault in Paris changes fractionally over time as the molecules degrade, which means that previous kilogram-based kilograms were subject to this change. Right. On the other hand, they didn't change much and who cares. But the point is, <laughs> this is great news for everybody who is weight-obsessed. Right. I don't mean worried about getting fat. I mean literally obsessed with weight. This is the biggest weight news since Weight Watchers changed their name to WW. <laughs> Weight is now a fiat currency, entirely imaginary. We don't have to worry about it anymore. Body positivity, weight is truly just an imaginary number. Throw your scales away. They won't even fall down. Gravity doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) Well, it's a a positive side. I mean, on the other other hand, it could be terrible news because arguably it was the movement of money away from the gold standard to a fiat currency that led eventually to the financial crisis. What if we have a weight crisis? Yeah, yeah. What if we all end up with weight inflation like Violet Bowler... Like Violet Beauregard in Willy Wonka. All right. We'll just float away. Yeah. I'm against it. Shocking. The uh, General Conference on Weights and Measures has... uh, What a great night out. Absolutely wild. Um, (laughs) That from May next year, the International System of Units, the SI, um, well, they've they've said that the speed of light in a vacuum is now going to be 299,792,000... 458 metres per second. I'm not happy with that. I didn't vote for that. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly the kind of expertise that explains why people voted for Brexit. If you don't show up at the voting poll booth to determine the weight of a kilogram, you don't get to complain, that Andy. Is a point. Apparently the Boltzmann constant, K, is now 1.380649 times 10 to the power of minus 23 joules per kilogram. Boltzmann, Zoltzmann, anyway. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's uh, new definitions of the second, which of course used to be the time it takes to say nice hippopotamus. <laughs> um, then, or, then it was redefined, I think, in the 1930s to the time it takes to do something that takes five minutes divided by 300. Okay. And then it became 100 times the time between the theme music for the archers coming on the radio and me switching the radio <laughs> off. <laughs> Uh, the meter, that's that's that, that's been redefined. Used to be the distance that Napoleon could spit from a seated position uh, <laughs> or the height of 28 worms doing a motorcycle pyramid. <laughs> that, obviously, seven, seven tiers. Um, <laughs> the kilogram used to be measured by nipping down in the supermarket and buying a kilogram of grapes, a kilogram of flour and a kilogram of mince, weighing them and taking an average of the three, often skewed by someone nicking one of the grapes. Um, and uh, the Kelvin uh, that used to be the amount of heat generated by an old man called Kelvin (laughs) sitting at a bus stop (laughs) your emails now and this uh, came in from Ezra Gray on the subject can someone explain this shirt and Ezra writes I was looking to gauge the sincerity of uh, Hillary 2020 merchandise and came across this and sends a link to a T-shirt which has Hillary 2020 on with one L and the face of someone who is emphatically not Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Now, 
Alice, I don't know if you are familiar with the work of the 1980s West Indian test batsman Larry Gomes. <laughs> no. But his first name was, in fact, Hillary with one L. <laughs> um, and that is his face. So what we've got here is a pun involving global politics and 1980s cricket. I mean, this I is just, absolutely your wheelhouse, Andy. Well, I think it's not only my wheelhouse. I don't. I don't think I need to do anything else with my life now. I think <laughs> I've been exposed to <laughs> not through any of my own doing, but the logical endpoint of everything I hold dear. Yeah, at this point, you're going to go throw away all of your clothes, buy a thousand yeah. of these t-shirts, and wear one on top and then one on each leg. <laughs> but and also, in fact, Larry Gomes should very much be a poster boy for for modern politics because he wasn't a glory seeker. You know, he was the glue in that West Indian batting line. We had the, you know, the flamboyance of Gordon Greenwich, Viv Richards, Clive Lloyd around him. The Back then, they didn't even know of, how to use emails. Well, no, silky skills of wicketkeeper Jeffrey Dujon and, of course, the battery of uh, terrifying fast bowlers. Larry Gomes, a rather prosaic defensive batsman, <laughs> but did a valuable role in that side. And is that not what humanity needs right now? Someone who's just going to get down with the difficult stuff and grind it out for the USA. I'm backing Larry Gomes for president of the USA. Oh, wow. Celebrity endorsement. That's right. And I want, as his running mates, the <laughs> Defence of England batsman, Chris Taveray. I want the Gomes-Taveray ticket to save America. And you might scoff at that. And, you know, I know they weren't technically born in America. But I didn't stop Barack Obama, who was born in Muslimistan, as we know. Uh but surely, you know, that's, that's, it's got to be preferable to, to have two 1980s test cricketers has got to be preferable to uh, Trump-Pence, surely. Andy, I'm on his Wikipedia page, yep. and it's it properly calls him out. I've never seen such a brutal Wikipedia page. for His stroke range was very limited, favouring the twitch to leg, the odd cover drive, some slides down the gully, and then my favourite bit, and a sort of hook. <laughs> <laughs> that's his official page. Yeah. But he did a valuable job for that, that West Indies side. Uh, there's, another new, there's another email here from a man called Stephen, uh, and it contains a link to a story in The Guardian about what is called Stinkgate, <laughs> uh, in which uh, the world of professional darts was rocked by two players accusing each other of repeatedly farting during a match. <laughs> I mean, that is taking sledging to a next level. It, is, it was uh, Gary Anderson and, and we, the appropriately named Wesley Harms. <laughs> um, and, I mean, it is oh, it's rock darts to its very foundations. I mean, that's, it's, it's only so much scope for cheating in darts. <laughs> so I guess the you know, a covert, nasally disharmonious exflagration um, could be, you know, one way of getting, you know, some cheeky... Uh, Advantage on your, on, sorry for the use of the word cheeky there. Advantage on your, uh, on your, uh, on your opponent. Um, Harms, who's from uh, from Holland, responded to uh, Anderson's accusation. He says, "If he thinks I farted, he is one thousand and ten percent wrong. <laughs> one thousand and ten percent. I think that is the biggest sporting percentage." Uh, I can remember. I remember Kevin Keegan talked about a a thousand percent commitment rate when he was manager of the England football team, and uh, the great um, investigative journal Viz, um, Mm -hmm. Viz magazine, uh, ran an article in which FIFA had to impose uh, 
standard 250% maximum commitment rate just to get the market under control. Uh, it's a very funny article. Um, but 1,010. 1,010%. I mean, yeah. he's he's not... He's not short on hyperbole, Harms. Yep. He said, I swear on my children's lives that it was not my fault. <laughs> right. And also this just, you know, I had a bad stomach on stage once before and admitted it. Yeah. Therefore, he's not going to lie about farting on stage now. That's proof. And so he That's... in return blamed Anderson, who yeah. also denied it, saying it was eggs, rotten eggs, but not from me. Right. Every time I walked past... There was a waft, so that's why I was thinking it was him. Right. It definitely wasn't me. Okay. I and mean, we're very close to getting into, you know, whoever smelt it, dealt it territory. I, I mean, mean... You don't want that in top-level sport. Has anyone contemplated that there might be a third man on the grassy knoll? <laughs> <laughs> the arsey knoll. Chris, family show. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, that concludes uh, this week's Bugle. Do not forget to buy yourself and all your friends, relatives and uh, enemies, colleagues, mm -hmm. uh, tickets to the Soho show from the 18th of December to the roughly 5th or 6th of January. Andy Zaltzman's 2018 The Certifiable History, also starring uh, Alice Fraser, of whom you may have heard. Um, do come along. Uh, we promise it will be largely funny. Oh, uh, yes, and my trilogy is coming up on 100,000 downloads. So if you've been thinking of listening to it, download it and put me over an arbitrary number that won't make me any more money but will make me happy. <laughs> um, whereas buying tickets to my Soho show will make both of us a little bit yeah. more money. So do that <laughs> Like first. it's not an either or. The trilogy is free. Alice, focus on the commercial operation. <laughs> if I were doing that, I would have stayed a lawyer. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much for listening. See you all in Soho from the 18th of December. We'll be back uh, next week with Tom Ballard and Anuvab Pal. Until then, Buglers, goodbye. Bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.